This is episode 21 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Thank you so much for being here and listening. Today, I have an awesome guest on the show. It is Adam J.D. Martin. I'm not sure what the JD stands for, but this guy has figured a lot out in a very short period of time. He's 25 years old right now, and at the age of 24, he started investing. He went from working 16-hour days, being flat broke, carrying a huge student debt, uh, trying to pay it off, and he just saw the light. He found himself a mentor, and he hustled, and today he shares his creative strategies of how he got into wholesaling, which is basically just when you start finding real estate deals tying them up with a contract and then assigning those contracts to another buyer. So basically you're just a middleman. He shares his story about how he was able to earn some income doing that. Eventually he stumbled across his first deal and he put it together with one of the most creative strategies I've ever heard. Really, really cool stuff. And for anyone who has yet to take the plunge or is kind of riding on some sort of excuse as to why you haven't done it yet, Now's the time to, to take action. And this episode I found very inspirational and I'm sure you will too. So before we go any further, I just wanted to ask if you could please take a moment right now to hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening, hit the subscribe button. And then if you could go over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and just leave me a rating and a review so that more people can find the show. You know, thank you so much to everyone who's already done that. I really, really appreciate it because it, it ultimately just helps the algorithm, helps helps Apple to promote this show to other people so that I can grow it further, reach more people. And obviously, uh, the goal would be to help and connect with them uh, as well, just as, as hopefully this podcast has helped you. Next on the agenda is the upcoming Hamilton Area REI Meetup. And this is a meetup for real estate investors. So if you are a real estate investor and you're willing to travel down to the Hamilton area or you're already operating there, this event is going to be fantastic. It's nothing but networking. It's connecting with other investors and learning from them. I find this type of networking to be the absolute best. It's my favorite type because I always come out of it buzzing, just ready to do a deal, ready to do the next move. And I can tell you from what I've seen and from my own personal experience that people who I see doing the most are a part of this type of a meetup, which is why I wanted to start this and I couldn't be more excited about it. So I really hope that you can be there. If you're interested in attending, I'm going to include a link to the Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. There's a link that uh, will be in the description, the show notes. It will take you directly to there and you can request to join that group and the event will be inside of there. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Adam J.D. Martin. Here's the episode. Please enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Adam J. Martin. I always <laughs> throw the J in there because I, I like see that. it online. Uh, he's on the show today and we actually just met the other day and I said, don't tell me anything. I just want to hear it all on the podcast. So I, I did get a few details, but uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing a story. Adam, how are you doing today? Excellent. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on the podcast today. And I'm definitely looking forward to sharing my story with you and kind of sharing yeah. my beginnings and kind of where I'm at now. And I know you've interviewed a lot of people that are in sort of our core network. So I'm really yeah. excited to be here. 
I'm making the rounds. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, you know, the beautiful thing, and, and maybe uh, I'll get you to describe where we are in just a moment, but um, the people in this little mecca of real estate investing uh, known as London, Ontario, uh, where my, my roots are from, even though I don't live there anymore, um, the community around that is amazing. And the yeah. more I can kind of get in and hang out with you guys and hear your stories, it's, it's obviously really inspiring. So I appreciate that. Um, tell, just tell the viewers and listeners where we are right now. Yeah, so we're in Byron. So that's a little neighborhood in London, Ontario, kind of in the south. Um, we're today at the mansion is what we call it. So this is sort of our collaborative workspace. Um, it's held in a new build. So it's a new, new build subdivision that we're renting out. Um, this property ad and yeah matt mckeever dylan mclaughlin peter klosko uh, and then jeff weibo lives about a, you know half a block down the road from here so we all kind of come here collaborate and work together so it's a great little space that's awesome yeah, yeah just just the uh, this is the whole thing that i'm doing with the meetup which i think you're coming to right yep yeah just getting around those people and uh and it, it helps for growth so Adam, I honestly, I don't know. I think, I think you're 25, you said now, yeah, that's which, right. which is awesome because I know we have a lot of younger listeners who are like, yeah, I don't want to just hear a lot of, you know, more established stories. I, I want to hear people who are young and doing it. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about you and where you started and where you're at right now on your real estate and career journey? Yeah, for sure. So I, um, I finished up school a couple of years ago now. Uh, so I went to school, got a degree in international business management. Um, that set me back quite a bit in terms of financially. So I, I probably started my real estate journey with about 60,000 in debt. So student debt, a uh, bit of consumer debt, and I had a newer car at the time as well. So I really, I got my beginning kind of following what everybody thinks is the right path, which is sort of that American dream type uh, deal where you'd get the car, you get the house, you get the, the degree, and then you're, you're living happily ever after. Um, so I was working as a, a technical recruiter, so basically a headhunter for uh, a firm called Aerotech, and I was working at that in Kitchener, and it was kind of an office job that was like, it theoretically should have been nine to five, and that's how I was compensated, but it ended up being like 16, 17 hours a day, because to hit their their large commission structures and to actually make the money that I wanted, you'd have to work like crazy hours. Um, and that was an interesting concept for me and not something that I was too afraid of. But the problem was, is I was doing it under somebody else's rules and somebody else's guidelines and timelines. Um, and so about 14 or 15 months ago now, my girlfriend and I just kind of sat down, put our heads together and, and decided, you know, we got to change something here because both of us were working similar schedules that kind of like 14 to 16 hours a day and not really getting too far. And uh, we just kind of put our heads together and started thinking of ways that we could earn money more passively and start um, really generating, you know, wealth over time and and building out um, just investments in assets. And so real estate became the obvious answer. But like I said, I was kind of 60 grand in debt. I really didn't know where I was going um, or how to get started. And so one of the first things that I did was start kind of looking into who is already doing it. So uh, I got started like probably most people did by reading um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So that's kind of the gateway drug for everybody um, really. And the wealthy barber and like all those classics and really just decided that like we needed to take things in our own hands. So I ended up coming on a Weibo limo tour. So it's okay. uh, a limo tour around London where Jeff Weibo 
uh, takes investors and, and would-be investors and we tour around private real estate deals and just kind of check things out in London. And uh, the reason I, I came to London is because it was so much more affordable. So like I was living in Kitchener where houses could be 400,000, 600,000. And the idea of being able to get into a market where houses at the time, you could still easily get houses for 180, right? 200, low 200s. Changing now though. <laughs> yeah, that's now changing. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, you know, bigger waves happening in, in this market in particular. But uh, that idea was very, it was romantic, right? Like the idea mm-hmm. that you could get in for half price essentially. And right. a lot of the buildings here are beautiful. So I came here, I basically had to borrow the money to get on the Weibo limo tour. Um, so came here, got on the limo. I ended up meeting Matt McKeever there on that limo tour um, and Jeff introduced us. Hey folks, just to clarify, Adam speaks about a, a person by the name of Matt McKeever in this episode. Matt McKeever is a YouTube sensation, we'll call him. He's actually on a future episode. I've already recorded it and I'm going to be uh, posting that episode in the next few weeks. But Matt is a guy who's acquired quite a portfolio of real estate and has branded himself on YouTube with many different videos talking about real estate investments. And he's also profiled Adam's work there as well. So if you're interested in in seeing more about Adam, you can do so there. And Adam does, in fact, talk about this later in the episode. And right away, I just saw a huge opportunity to um, kind of, well, it was an opportunity to get a mentor and get somebody that knew what they were doing and I knew I wanted to be closer to this network. So I went home, I watched about 300, maybe 400 of Matt's videos at the <laughs> time. And like literally within the space of a few days. And uh, I called Matt and I just, I begged him for an appointment, got in front of him. And then I essentially, I met him on a Sunday, quit my job the same day. And uh, from then on, I started driving back and forth to London every single day. So yeah. from Guelph and Really, what I was doing there was trying to get closer to this network and get closer into um, the space of real estate and really start learning from these people. Um, So yeah, from there, one of the first steps for me, and I think this will be kind of important for anybody trying to get started in real estate, was I wanted to, well, I had to learn the most I could about real estate investing in a short period of time. Because we had one set goal, our one big goal for the whole year between Miranda and I was buy one property. So however that was going to happen, we needed to make it work. Um, And the answer for me was actually wholesaling. So I ended up walking through, you know, maybe more than 100 buildings in a very short period of time. Uh, I ended up getting my first deal was a $15,000 assignment fee. The second deal was another $15,000. And then I assigned a few more at like 5,000, 1,000, 3,000, you know, kind of that lower end of the range. But it was started starting to really get exposed to a ton of real estate and a ton of different strategies and also getting myself in front of a lot of different investors in this area because I had to assign these deals, right? So I had to put myself in front of them. So um, that's kind of how I got started in getting exposed to the different styles of real estate, especially in London, because, you know, London's got every city's kind of got its characteristics and London right. and the areas that I was looking in, there's a lot of low ceiling heights. So there's opportunities for underpinning. There's a lot of um, buildings that you can get into. And we have a rental license here, too, for anybody that's right. not from London. So there's a lot of opportunities to get into buildings that are undervalued simply because they wouldn't necessarily get the rental license. 
Uh, but there are a lot yeah. of investors that are willing to kind of gamble on those buildings. So, so you're saying there are people that are willing to do an underpin? Do an underpin or get into buildings that aren't necessarily following the city's uh, right. rules in terms of legality. So, you yeah. know, there's lots of triplexes that uh, realistically are duplexes, but people are renting out that basement or they're renting out that created a third unit. Okay. Um, and I want to I want to jump into that in a second here. So legalities of of illegal units, yeah, um, and and just how common that is because I actually see that a lot myself, and I don't do that personally. Yeah. But before we get to that point, you've done something pretty magnificent in that you started at like 24. You made the decision. Yep. You changed your entire life. I'm assuming that there was some sort of a breaking point or an extreme pain point in in both your life and your relationship in terms of how much time you're having to dedicate to work. Yeah. Um, so you make the the move. You took some massive action at that point. You talked about seeing a lot of properties. How many properties did you see before you saw your first dollar in profit off of, oh, off of it? Oh man, a lot. Like um, physically in person and analyzing on paper. Like give me a, a ballpark. Yeah. I mean, I would have walked through at least 30 to 40 properties and looking online, it could have been hundreds, right? So was it every day where you, were you, did you have like, Hey, I'm going to do three properties a day. I'm going to evaluate three properties a day or something like that. Yeah. It would have been a much larger number, but uh, for sure I was walking through multiple properties per day. Um, the way we actually attacked it was by using yellow letters. So handwritten okay. letters that we distributed uh, to the various neighborhoods that were of interest to um, the investors in the core group here, so we w- okay. we were sending out you know five to ten thousand letters per month uh, to these neighborhoods, and they appear to be handwritten, but you handwrite one and then photocopy it on yellow paper on on any kind of paper. They just call them yellow letters online if if people are trying to look up. Were you doing it, it on is. yellow paper? Or? No, we were actually using uh, white with black ink. But some of the more advanced people recently have been using. Uh, white paper and then they get it printed in blue ink so it looks quite a bit like, like pen, pen. Yeah. it's it's gorgeous really yeah uh, like luke boyron's got the best letter out there but uh oh i was i was curious i've heard this guy's name around uh, yeah yeah how he was doing it i got one of his guys on the phone i'm like where are you guys getting them oh we can't give our secrets <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah just came out <laughs> those guys are those guys are fantastic yeah um so yeah that's that's really interesting why don't we dig into that because i think that's a topic that a lot of people are interested myself yeah. included Um, let's talk about your approach to lettering a neighborhood to find a deal. Yeah. So, I mean, it always starts with who's the end user. So if you want to figure out which neighborhood to go to, you should probably find out who's going to buy in that area. Right. So investor or end user, how do you mean? I I do mean an investor Investor. typically. So one of the easiest ways to figure out or get started in wholesaling is to talk to the people that you're going to be assigning these properties to. Right. So if I know that you want a single family home that's got at least three bedrooms, two baths, and you're looking for a price between 150 and 250, let's say, yeah. then I know um, exactly what, su- what sort of buildings are best for me to spend my time on in terms of actually setting that appointment and qualifying you when you call me. Um, but also I can just simply ask you like, okay, like where do you see that investment being in the city? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, you know, I want it in Soho, which is an up and coming neighborhood here, yeah. or I want it in the old East village, which is a, a pretty established neighborhood here. Or, you know, I want old North and I want a house for three fifty if you can find it. Cause I'm, I'm yeah. interested in doing flips. 
So then what I'm looking for is, okay, so you want a house in Old North. Well, what I'll do then is I'll go on Canada Post and go on their Precision Targeter and you can just simply select uh, either by postal code or by neighborhood where you want to have your letters distributed. And it's not exactly laser focused because you're sending out so many. So you do get a lot of sort of wasted time, if you will, or or at least you, you get a lot of leads or a lot of calls that aren't necessarily going to convert. You probably convert only like one to three percent on calls. On, on anything like so letters so, even so, so you do a thousand letters you're getting 30 30 conversions that's not that can't be right it yeah so if you do a thousand i never did a thousand letters it's too small but if you did ten thousand letters okay. you'll probably get something like a hundred calls and you can walk through any number of the it depends on how you're qualifying these people mm-hmm. like if they're calling and right away they're saying like hey um you know if they're in soho and they want five hundred thousand well it's like okay yeah. but you know, most of the properties there are going to be worth low twos. Okay. So you're saying you understand like, if, okay, we'll use Soho as the example. You know, this is, this is the typical range of property. Yeah. You're going to send out your, your 10,000 letters. You're going to expect your, your hundred calls. And out of the hundred calls, you figure maybe three close uh, as a deal. Yeah. It depends. Like you can probably lock up at least three, okay. right? So getting them under contract and assigning right. them are different things. Um, so you can get a lot of, you can get far more of those under contract if you wanted. And by under contract, you just mean you're writing a sale agreement yeah. that gives you the right to assign it to someone else. Yeah, if with you assignability yeah. and exit clauses, right? Okay. Um, but actually assigning it's a different thing because you have to have somebody interested in that building, in that neighborhood, at that price, um, and then for their intention, right? So if they want right. to flip it, they have to have a plan, they have to have the margin yeah. there. Um, and it really depends on how far under value you can get this property, right? So you'd find, you talk to a hundred people after your mailing, and I'm sure you just keep mailing, Yeah. Uh, but you're talking to a hundred people in say a, a span of a month. Those conversations usually start like how? If somebody calls you, hi, I saw your letter. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. There was lots of different responses, some positive, some negative. Mm-hmm. Um, at, Often it's just like, hey, we got your letter. Not really sure if it's real because, again, it's a handwritten letter that's unaddressed and it just shows up in your mailbox. Right. Um, And so you really just have to nail down the script, uh, nail down exactly what you want to say and Mm -hmm. and make sure, too, that you're not misrepresenting any information. Like, hey, I'm looking for properties that I can add value to, right? They're actually typically undervalued or in need of some love, right? I buy ugly houses. Okay. Right. And so we do that fast, fast kind of cash offer. And, um, you know, you don't really have a a lot of what it is, is about adding value to that person in other ways other than financially. So if you want to leave all of your junk, no problem. If you want to leave any repairs undone, no problem, because we're already going to be looking to repair it anyways. Right. So it's about convenience more than it is about, um, the actual price of the property for a lot of these people and a lot of them are just embarrassed or too embarrassed to really want to have it on market and let their mm-hmm. neighbors know let other people um in on that deal and y- you see that a lot too in the small towns right where everybody knows everybody right. and so when that listing comes up everybody's now got a look into your life or a look into your building and you can avoid that yep. by saying like hey I'm just going to come through. I might have a few more people with me, but it's not going to be publicized, right? 
Yeah. So I, I just recently started hearing more stories of people saying how important that is to some sellers. Yeah. Right. And, and that was something that was a little hard for me to wrap my head around originally yeah. is why wouldn't somebody want to go to market? But yep. there's so many factors, like you, you've said, where people just get embarrassed, like they're, they're embarrassed about how they live, about yeah. how ugly their houses or how far they've let things go because they didn't have the money to fix it up. And that's the thing, like people don't plan on this, right? Like people don't expect to mm -hmm. end up where they are. And like, that's kind of, I was in the same situation with my own family, right? Like when mm -hmm. I was growing up, our, our house was terrible. Like the roof was basically falling in for the whole, like the length that I can remember of living mm -hmm. there. And so like, it wouldn't be uncommon for water to be coming through a ceiling at any point or like pipes freezing and stuff like that. And like, my mom never wanted to sell it because she was too embarrassed to have it on the market. She was too embarrassed to really accept where she had got to, right? And so that was another big motivation for me is I'm looking at these people because wholesaling and the whole act, like flippers get it, wholesalers get it, uh, and a lot of investors will get it where people are kind of um, giving them that bad reputation because it's like, oh, you're taking advantage of that person. Mm -hmm. um, it depends. There probably are people that are. Um, but for me, like I see my parents or I see my mom every time I'm talking to one of these people, right? They okay. don't intend on getting there. They don't, they didn't plan on this. It's just that this is where they're at. So I, I try and do my best to give them the best price that we can, or, or at least the best terms, mm -hmm. right? That to help them transition out of that and hopefully get a better start somewhere else. So and I think, um, well, with, with some of the things that I've studied over the years, reading books and sales and such, it's it's really all about understanding what their needs and wants are, yeah. right? For them, if the biggest pain in their life is is you know not being able to afford groceries or or you know being in this situation and you can relieve that then then you're creating the value there yeah, not everyone huge. cares about price not everyone does and that sounds so foreign i mean to me that sounded like like an alien concept what people don't care about price that's the number one right because i grew up in a family that didn't have much and yeah you know i really for a long time never embraced the abundance mentality and everything had to be you know the best deal uh, then I realized that people don't make rational decisions. They, I, I see it all the time. I had tenants that I put into a property, which is actually just turning over right now, uh, eight years ago that were into that property to, uh, hopefully one day buy it. You know, they, they purchased an option to purchase, which gave them the right to maybe one day buy this house from me. And, um, they, they spent some money on that yet, they didn't actually take the action to improve their credit. I tried. I reached out to them. Hey, guys, like I literally took out a highlighter on their credit bureau and gave it to them. I'm like, these are the things you fix. If you fix them, we should be able to get you. You know, I'm a, I'm a mortgage broker, mortgage agent by trade. Uh, before I got into all this construction and investing and all that, I started back there. And I gave them every opportunity, but they just ignored it, right? So not everything logical is necessarily going to be the way it happens, right? The logical thing for them to do would have been to play along do the things that I said you needed to do. And then they would have bought the house from me long ago, but they didn't. Right. Yeah. And you're going to see that from like, people just get emotional, right? The, the, the emotional pain of the situation they're in is just too great. And the, they just want out. And you know what, if they don't sell to you, they're going to sell to somebody else. So that's right. If you can let them out of that pain, you're that's the sale. That's the service. Right. So for sure. Yeah. And this is probably a, a really great transition now into mm -hmm. sort of how I got my first deal. So mm -hmm. Um, my first deal came, you know, after walking through these hundred plus buildings and looking mm -hmm. at so many listings and, um, and ended up getting those first few assignments that were really helpful. Um, and 
you know, kind of the biggest value in, in walking through all these buildings was to truly get a good understanding of what the buildings look like in London. Mm -hmm. What do they feel like? Like, what are some of the issues that I could identify as coming up frequently? Like, okay. what am I always seeing? Right. It was it was roofs, windows, uh, foundation issues, low ceilings and in, in the basements here. It's a big thing here. Um, but anyways, I'd got all this exposure to these different styles of buildings and neighborhoods and, and the different types of investors and learning from them a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and obviously this whole time I've got Matt kind of mentoring me in the background and, and just teaching me and, and really kind of fast tracking my exposure to a lot of the different strategies and everything. So eventually I arrived on this, uh, it's a small semi-detached house near Fanshawe college mm -hmm. and in talking to the seller, he responded to one of my letters. Yeah. And so right away, I went there with the intention of looking at it as a wholesale deal. And so in that area at the time, houses were probably, it would have been reasonable to get that house around 180000 mm -hmm. uh, at like market rate. So for a wholesaling opportunity, it would have had to be below that. Let's say, you know, 170, 150, something like that. And, um, when I first approached this seller, I knew that things were kind of rough in the house because when I did my initial walkthrough, um, it was a disaster. Like it was a mess. It was crazy. The smell was unbearable. Um, there was carpets everywhere that had never, ever, ever been cleaned or, or helped out at all. And um, in the basement, he had like three or four different people living there that were using drugs so they had needles all over the place like there was multiple animals and i was like okay this is an interesting situation um, but he himself was a very um like he was very there he was very aware he was very good at communicating so mm -hmm. i could tell that like he probably wasn't on the same drugs and everything that they were using so right away i kind of identified well he's in a bit of a tight spot here because he had all these people living there that he couldn't get rid of and he didn't know how to mm -hmm. and he um, revealed to me that he was actually losing quite a bit of money every month on this property. Okay. And um, so anyways, the way I kind of transitioned it and knew right away that it wouldn't work as a wholesale deal is he offered uh, to sell the house to me at 200,000. Okay. And if you remember the market here's it should be 180. I'm looking to get it for somewhere between 150 and 180. Uh, for a wholesale opportunity. So he's so said, you're saying if the end value, like after repair value is 180? Like or, the current market. So just rate. current market value yeah. is 180. You want to get it for around 150. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and done up, it, it, it could have been worth more, right? Like at the okay. time, those would have been potentially 200. So it was just an easy opportunity to okay. go and do some small renovations and have it come up to that ARV or market rate. Mm -hmm. But he initially was asking for 200. Okay. And so I knew right away, like, okay, this isn't going to work as a wholesale opportunity, but I decided to keep talking to him because he was clearly, he had some issues going on there. Um, and then what had ended up happening is after a series of meetings with him and walkthroughs, he offered to sell me 50% of the building because, you know, I walked through, I said, the price is way too high. It'll never work. Mm -hmm. um, and then he offered to sell me 50% of the building. And that kind of was a big red flag because I had known that he only purchased the building two or three years prior. So it didn't really make sense that he would have 50% equity or like right away. I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And that kind of gave me insight into what he wanted. And so I, I just dug in on that. Like, what's your why? So his why was he needed somewhere to live. He was losing money on this building right now. 
he needed um, a stable income or at least more stability in his life because he's on some kind of disability program, mm -hmm. probably ODSP. And, um, and he was just like traumatized from the experience of owning this building with these people in it. And so I ended up digging in and digging in and digging in. I found out that he actually owned 100% equity in the building. So he owned the building outright and somehow he was still losing money every month. Wow. And he was somehow still like having this, this horrible experience with these people. Um, and that led me down this path of like, okay, well, I know how I can make sense and, and make a win-win for us here. Uh, if you, and cause remember too guys that I have this issue where I've got 60 grand in debt. I, I just quit my job. So I've got a horrible bank story. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's going to be really difficult for me to get qualified on any mortgage, let alone 225. Um, so what I did was I offered him a vendor take back. So I said, well, if we do a vendor take back, mm -hmm. I can certainly buy the property and I'm willing to pay more. So you were, you, you were willing based on, so vendor take back mortgage for anyone wondering, that's where the seller of the property gives you financing. So in, instead of you giving him a check for $200,000, uh, you know, through the lawyer, you're only giving a check for the difference between whatever he's willing to offer as a mortgage and, yeah. and what, uh, what the total price is. Yeah. So I swung for the fences and, uh, hundred percent. Did you go for it? So uh, I swung <laughs> for the fences and, uh, I ended up getting one of the crazier deals that I've heard of so far which is amazing um but i was able to get him yeah i, I went for a hundred but i realized and i knew right away that he would need some money up front because he would need to cover costs of moving and lawyer yeah. fees and this kind of thing uh so i went for a hundred ended up settling on 96 percent loan to value um but where the deal becomes very interesting is i got 96 percent loan to value on the vendor take back at three percent for 13 years no way yeah so 13 years <laughs> yeah so no amortization like just interest 20 year amortization of okay blended payments and okay. 13 year term that is amazing it's insane it's <laughs> so that's better best. than bank rates right now pretty much far better well yeah. and, and for me the important part about this is it's far better than bank rates today but nobody knows what bank rates are tomorrow but i'm always right. going to be happy at three percent Right. Like, I don't yeah. care if bank rates go to two percent. I'm happy at three, knowing that in the 80s, there was 19 percent, 20 percent interest rates. Right. So if we in, if we incur any kind of market, um, like market destabilization or any kind of in, influences from the market that come and raise interest rates up significantly, yeah. I'm insulated entirely from that for the next 13 years. So that deal that you just did was was hustle. So banks won't qualify them, but when people are selling a house, yeah, they're you know if you you took the time to understand your customer, really. I mean, he he sold you something, but you really sold him on yeah. on the whole concept. Well, and the way I locked this down too, this is an important thing to note here is this wasn't free, right? Like mm. this came at a cost to me, and and also at a service for him. So the way that I actually achieved this was I figured out his why really early and I just dug in on it and went all in on that why. And so the way I was able to achieve that and, and kind of make it real for him was I got his lawyer for him. I actually drove him around in my car and showed him three different places that I had negotiated the rents at for him. So three different options of places where he could go and live um, at an affordable rate because I knew what his mortgage payment was going to be. Right. I knew what his affordability was because I was creating it. Yeah. So I, I showed him, I drove him around, showed him three different apartments. I got him his lawyer. I got him his moving company and paid for it. 
Uh, I got him all the moving boxes and anything else he would need to actually make right. this happen. Um, did you write this all in an agreement or you just told him, I'll, I'll do it. this. I'll just do this for you. Yeah, I did. Well, yeah. I did it the same day. I had the contract mm-hmm. and I drove him around to the, all of these places to show him where he could yeah. go and, and how it was all possible for him. And then he, I had him sign that day. So, um, and when you were doing this, did you do the, the whole if close like... Uh, you know, John, if I could do this for you, would that be something you're interested in or would that be something you're willing to move forward on? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Um, so, yeah, those little trial closes. Right. So you call. OK, yeah. Yeah. So a little trial close. close. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's classic. Right. And, it, yeah. you know, if I can make all this happen for you, if I can make this simple, if I can give you all yeah. those other things, I'm willing to give you your price. And what I also did for him was um, I actually offered him. <laughs> It was a good line because I was like, you know what? 200 is insane. There's no way I can ever afford to pay you 200. It's way too much money. Why don't I give you 240? And he was like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to pay you way more money for this deal if you take a hundred percent and I'll also drive you around. You know, we'll get, we'll get you a place to live and I'll take care of all that stuff for you. Yeah. I mean, so it, it came at a bit of a cost to me. And during this negotiation too, he kind of was jumping around from, uh, 200 to 225. And, um, so really I was only offering him 15,000 more by the end of the negotiation. But, uh, another key factor here was to actually have this deal come through and have him sign it. I brought him a physical copy of the amortization schedule. So I showed him how this deal would actually go through and showed him the numbers. So he ends up making, uh, an extra $60,000 on the deal, just in interest alone. I think it's 66,000. Mm-hmm. And then with the additional 15, um, he ends up making a lot more money. He's basically getting 300,000 for the property. He's just getting it over 13 years. So, so when you said, why don't I give you 240, you were factoring in the fact that you're going to be paying him interest. Is that right? Well, that was just a bonus. So a bonus. Oh, so uh, so you you literally agreed on two forty. Yeah, selling so, price. So close. Yeah. So sell price is two forty. Mm-hmm. Interest rates three uh, percent. Terms thirteen years. Amortized over twenty years. Okay. And then he ends up essentially getting three hundred thousand for the deal at the end of thirteen years. What was your down payment in total, if you can remember back to? So, so it's that four percent, right? So I gave him ten k. So, no, I just mean what you gave the lawyer, like including your land transfer, because we have land transfer tax here in Ontario. I didn't have land transfer. Oh, first time. First first time. So none of that. So you had your legal fees then? Yeah, it was about 1,200. So you had 1,200 legal fees. So the total bank draft you gave to the lawyer, including the deposit you paid to the seller, was was 11,200. 11,200. You got that number right on top of mine. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So you obviously paid a bit more. Did you, was this a student rental? Yeah. So I went into this building and this is why I was so attracted to it. It was very hard to lose. I, I thought for sure. And I went through this emotional roller coaster as everybody will in terms of like, oh, it's happening, right? Like it's my first deal and you're really excited. And then mm-hmm. you panic because I was like, holy, now every month I have to come up with $1,250. That's my mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then plus taxes and everything else. So every single month I have to come up with twelve fifty. What am I going to do? Well, I knew that the school was there. So that's a really great uh, resource mm-hmm. to have right there. But it's also not as close to where Matt's rentals are, for example, or Dan, who owns yeah. a lot of student rentals here. So I'm like, it's a little far. I don't know if it's going to work. And what I did was I actually got it rented out for students. So I had um, 
four students initially, and then plus Miranda and I were living in one room, so we started house hacking it. Okay, so house hacking. Um, it, yeah, and again, this goes back to I asked Matt. So Matt, my mentor here, I asked him like, "What's the easiest way I can achieve what you were able to achieve?" And he said, "Well, you got to get rid of your um, your cost of living, basically, like your shelter costs. It's going to be like forty percent of your earnings." And I'm like, "Whoa, okay." Mm-hmm. So I got to focus on that. So we move into there. And then I had to do some renovations because obviously it was in pretty, pretty big disrepair, but it was all cosmetic. So I actually ended up renting out four of the rooms mid renovation. So I hadn't even finished my work on the building yet. And then I I used their first and last rent deposit to actually fund most of the renovations. Wow. So my reno total was about $7,000 and that got me parking in the rear. So like I added like eight parking spots. I mm-hmm. painted the entire building. We did a bunch of flooring. Um, the kitchen was updated already, which was great. Okay. But, uh, and the electrical and like everything else, like all the fundamentals were there. We just needed some flooring and paint and some trim done. Okay. So you're in for 18,200 then including yeah. everything. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And so we got the building rented out uh, for 20, th- uh, sorry, 2350 was the total rent with with us living there for free right nice. okay so you're living for free and you're collecting 23.50 yeah uh your mortgage payment is 12.50 is uh 12.50 um i haven't actually i don't think i've ever fully broken down a single property's complete cash flow so i'd love to do this right now if you if you yeah. roughly know your numbers yeah um what were your approximate monthly uh property taxes um or if you know shoot. the annual amount i can yeah, the annual amounts like eighteen hundred. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I want to buy it's in a, that it's, neighborhood. It's a semi in like a small, quiet crescent. It's sure. perfect. Okay, so that that works out to one hundred and fifty a month. Yeah, and then you were paying utilities. Yeah, so we pay all the utilities are included. Um, hydro and electrics about one hundred and thirty a month. Gas is about forty a month. Internet's thirty a month, and that's everything. Okay, so uh, let's just so electric and water are how much? About one fifty. One fifty, and these are just average ballpark numbers. Yeah. Uh, gas, how much? About fifty. Fifty. Yeah, if we want simple numbers, and then thirty on the internet. Yeah. That's cheap internet. How'd you get internet? So students, cheap. you just claim you're a student, you get half off. Oh, okay. <laughs> so fifty, one fifty, thirty. Are we missing anything? Uh, we got the we got the four. Okay, so students pay for their own cell phones. So that's that's good. You're you're all in on your utilities and internet for two thirty a month on average, and then you've got insurance. Yep. Um, what were you paying roughly on insurance? Probably around a thousand a year. Yeah, I think. it's just under a thousand, I think. Yeah, so we'll, we'll call it like nine fifty. So nine fifty a year works out to be um, about eighty bucks a month. We'll call it. Yep. And um, other things would I would typically allow when I'm looking at a property are maintenance and management. In this case, you don't have management yourself managing. Yeah. Um, just side note, when I'm looking at a property, I'll always build it in whether I'm going to manage or not. Because if I'm coming up with what's what's called a cap rate for those who aren't familiar with it, that's always included. You always want to factor that in. But for, for now, let's just calculate what your actual was. And then miscellaneous uh, maintenance items. What would you say budget for a year that you would allow for? Just stuff that comes up. Yeah, it's very low just based on when this building was built and sort of what yeah. is existing, but like even just like based on the structure and, and everything. So I, you know, I wouldn't probably spend more than 50 a month on it. 50 a month. Okay. So, so 600 for the year, 50 a month. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's just come up. So we've got your 
mortgage, property tax, utilities, insurance, and maintenance. Yep. Did you have to pay anyone to cut the lawn or no. you did it yourself? Yeah, I'm living there, so, so it's easy enough for me. Yeah, we'll, we'll just do your real numbers. So we'll, we'll just allow maybe 50 bucks uh, a month for gas for the lawnmower. Maybe that'd be crazy. Yeah. 20, 20 bucks? Probably 20. Yeah. 20 bucks. Okay. <laughs> gas for lawnmower. Uh, lawn. Some people just build that into their maintenance, but yeah. uh, whatever. We'll throw it in there as, a, as an approximate. So you are going to be 2350 less the sum of all these other expenses. So I've got my spreadsheet here. I'll just hit that up. 570 a month in yeah. cash flow and something you're in for zero. Yeah. And well, I'm in for just the oh, cl- closing costs and sure. Yeah. Sorry. You're not in for zero. Let's just, let's just come up uh, with that. I'm so used to saying in for zero because so many people find a way to burr their properties and, yeah. And, and refinance that money back out, which well, you probably I actually did get a have. second on the 4%. <laughs> so <laughs> I love this. Yeah. This deal never ends. It was yeah. a good deal. That's, that's great. Okay. So let's just do the uh, conversion here. So, so, uh, 57 or sorry, 570 a month is equal to uh, six sixty eight forty a year. So, so annual cash flow, and then you're gonna have principal pay down on that mortgage. I don't even want to bring that second mortgage into this yet because it's gonna make things a little more complicated yeah. to calculate. Uh, but so let's just assume that that wasn't there. So principal pay down on this. Let's it's assume a, it's about uh, six eighty a month. About six eighty a month yeah. in the first year. Okay, we'll yeah. just say that. So six eighty a month times twelve. So your principal pay down is roughly just. Well, eighty-one sixty, so just over eight thousand, and then appreciation. You sort of, as you admitted, you paid a little bit more than. So this is the next chapter in the story, yeah. really. Um, so I, I don't want to mess up your numbers here already, but just these past few months, this in, this neighborhood has appreciated massively. Crazy. So yeah. everything now that's selling anywhere near me is going mm-hmm. for three hundred to three twenty. Yeah, so you've, you're already way up. And this is one of those things that we couldn't really have predicted. So in a normal situation like this, if I knew I paid over market to start, I might only say 2% is what I'm going to allow for appreciation over yeah, time, it's, right? It's traditionally about yeah. 5% London, but... Oh, in the last few years, yes. Yeah. I remember I remember the lean years. I, I had a property for six years and I don't think it went up more than 10 grand. Yeah, that's uh, wild. It, and then all of a sudden I went up, so I was tracking it. Side, side note, I was tracking it. I bought for 187.5 on, on this property back in, in 2012, January 6th, I closed. I remember that date. And uh, like a year later, two years later, I'm always looking, I'm like, hey, what do you guys think this is worth? They're like, yeah, probably about what you paid. I'm like, damn. Uh, <laughs> damn. Um, but then all of a sudden it just went crazy. You know, I'm up to 240, 250. Um, then I had it appraised in November for 315, I think. And, uh, and I know it's gone crazy since then even more. And now I think we're on 350 on something I paid 187 for. So there are those awesome. lean years too, right? You got to yeah, realize it's not sure. always sunshine and rainbows, but that's why cash flow is so important, which you have. Yeah. And, and so just to update, these numbers are all good, but yeah. even just an, an update is what we found um, fairly quickly was that um, there are even better ways to maximize mm-hmm. cash flow. And so one of our students had some issue with their um, uh, like immigration stuff. So like their documentation or whatever. So they had to, anyways, they had to go back to India. Okay. And so what we decided, I was like, okay, well, I could wait to get another student because we're sort of mid-semester. Um, but what we actually did was we ended up furnishing it for 1300 and we put it up, up on Airbnb. And it was kind of risky because we had the three students still plus mm-hmm. myself and Miranda. So it's a busy house and it's only a five bed, two bath. 
Okay. Uh, and we put a kitchenette in the basement. So it's, there's kind of like a kitchen and a half, if you will. Okay. And so we put in this Airbnb room, which is a private room in a shared house, obviously. And we managed it ourselves. And our best month so far in that single room was 950. So that what that's really going to do is that's going to take a cash flow that we said was 570. And, and really, that's going to bring your average up to like, it, what, 900 a, it's a about, month? It's, it varies because Airbnb is not as consistent as like a lease, let's say. Yes. So I, I consistently get between 750 and 9. So, so yeah, my, my cash flow is going to be Mm -hmm. around like consistently, it'll be about 700. Okay. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to stick with the number we had before you Airbnb, and then we can, we can talk about how that number would be adjust. So originally we were saying 570, then you got the bright idea. Let's maximize cash flow. I love these ideas, by the way. I love how a lot of people just think it's either closed box where you're standing around all these investors and you're thinking, how can we make more money? What can we do? Like, what can we try next? And, And I think, you know, my hat's off to you guys because you're always trying new stuff. And and I've never seen such innovation from such a young group of people. Uh, compounding strategies, yeah. right? Yes, absolutely. So um, so just calculating your return here, your total return across appreciation, if we said 2%, uh, which would be 4,800, and then you'd have your principal pay down of the 8,160 you said, and then annual cash flow before you did the Airbnb strategy, which was 6,840. So if we take your total return of 19,800, and we divide that by what you have in at 18,200, your return on investments over a hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's, that's the key. The key uh, thing here is if you had gotten hung up on the fact that you're paying over market, you might not have done the deal. And, yeah. and now you're winning because you did. And, and I, I've been a big believer that you, you know, you don't wait to get real estate by real estate and wait because it will, the market will come around, right? You might be in a, in a trough or things might be slow for a while, but then eventually a boom happens. There is a cycle, of course, but as long as you got your cash flow, you know, 30 years down the road, you're not retiring for, for a while here. Um, yeah. And why would you retire? If you're enjoying what you do, you're going to keep doing it. But I mean, when you want to just say, screw it all and then go travel, you're probably not that far away from it where you are right now, especially with a guy like Matt kind of leading the way for you. Yeah, that's right. And like, I, you know, that's the first five to 700, depending on how you want to look at the cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, my burn rate or my cost of living somewhere just under 3000. So like really a I'm, a, I'm a sixth of the way okay. if I wanted to just satisfy my burn rate with yeah. uh, passive income. And that's just with that building. I've since then got a fourplex as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's one of these ways to build wealth or build passive income that I I see as being very low risk. And that's something I wanted to just point out here is, you know, we just showed with the numbers very clearly that I'm getting over 100% return on my investment. Mm-hmm. But where else can you get those kinds of returns without incurring massive risk? Because if we just dial this back a little bit or go back just a few minutes in this podcast, you remember that I'm saying I'm also insulated from any real market risk for the next 13 years at least. Right. So like I'm insulated from risk in the market cycles and and interest rates, which could normally be cited as a, a risk factor to investing in real estate. Uh, I'm in a property where I am also using it for my primary residence. So mm-hmm. like I now have my own sort of castle, my own sort of place to to fall back to if I have to. Right. Um, and really, I did it without almost any of my own money. So it's just a really interesting deal where I'm mm-hmm. able to compound all these different strategies, insulate my risk, and then still achieve that really high return. So, yeah, that's incredible. And just to expand on on what you said, 
you're insulated from the market, both in terms of the prices going up and down and the economy, because you're doing student rentals. People yeah. go to school in good times and in bad times. Yeah, even They're, more so, I think, even in, in a bad following times, even more. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the rents, even if your property values go down, that's just a win because then you can go out and buy more. That's right. <laughs> go buy them all when they're down and, and then get insane cash flow, right? Because the demand for rentals is still going to be there. So the demand in, in terms of average monthly rate is probably going to stay roughly the same, even in a down market. Yep. Uh, so, you know, very, very important point. And I think about stuff like that when I'm investing. And that's why I've always loved student rentals because they're insulated from, from market cycles. And I knew them. Like I went to school. I, I knew... I knew what I would have wanted where I lived because I lived in really bad places and I overcompensated and went the other way. And I'm like, okay, well, the ones I'm going to do because I acknowledge people like me that were just out for a deal. Like I just wanted the cheapest place and I sacrificed living quality for it. And then yeah. I like look back and I'm like, wow, that really sucked. Yeah. Um, and then I'm like, but I know the other side. I know all the kids that come from private schools that are willing to pay more and I'd like to offer them something and, you know, kind of a tangent story, but, uh, you know, investing in what you know, or finding a mentor and learning something, which you, you know, you did, you got the mentor, you went around, you saw tons of properties. Yeah. And then you start, would you agree that once you've seen so many properties, you know, a deal the second you see it? hundred percent. Right? Yeah. That's for the sure. Biggest you, thing. You, it's immediate awareness, right? When yeah. you walk into a building, you know, the price, you're more familiar with your neighborhoods and your city yeah. and where you're looking. It's like, it's moments. It yeah. takes seconds, even in a phone call now. So yeah. now even when those leads are coming in, those cold leads, like I can tell right away whether or not there's something there. And yeah. then it just, it allows you to manage your time so much better and really become more efficient, more effective at, at recognizing opportunity, but also at executing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this has uh, been a really interesting conversation. I wanted to ask you, um, I, I've been asking this lately and I think it's really valuable, especially where you're at. What is one thing that you would recommend as being the most important thing, somebody wanting to get started, wanting to make a change in their life and, you know, go down this road, what would, what would you recommend for them? I think one of the most important things is to start surrounding yourself by the right, with the right people, like start surrounding yourself with people that are doing what you want to do. So if you want to be in real estate investing, you should probably be surrounding yourself with real estate investors and you can get more dialed into that if you want, like you can surround yourself with people that do mostly flips you know, Sean Allen's been on here. If you, yeah. if you want to be doing flips, you should probably have more interactions with Sean or people mm -hmm. like Sean, right? Um, but, you know, I think it's just important to really sample and hear from the people that are in the business that are currently doing it, that are currently aware of today's strategies and ways that you can still make money with it today. Um, because there are a lot of people out there that can be cynical. There are a lot of people that have heard that story about their one uncle that had a property that went wrong and they exited the market and, mm -hmm. you know, they might've made some money or maybe they lost money. Um, but I think it's just important to surround yourself with people that can share this knowledge with you and share their strategies. And, you know, that's how I got the fourplex too. the yeah. next deal. It was also, it's extremely creative. I've got no money into it. It's going to end up being essentially a free building. We okay. build, you know, we're building probably $200,000 in equity in, in a few months with it mm -hmm. and um, and a massive cash back position on it. So like this is only possible if you're surrounded with people yeah. that can educate you on that. And so I think getting started is all about um, being willing to get yourself out there, put yourself out there, but also to yeah. find that mentor if you can, if, if it's one person. But, you know, 
start with everybody. Sample all the strategies. Yeah. Just be careful who you take advice from, right? That's right. Like, it, whoever you're taking advice from, from, they should have something you want, right? That's right. If you're listening to your uncle at the dinner table that's never owned a rental property and says you're nuts, yeah. probably not the guy to uh, to take the advice from. But if you're, you know, if you're talking to somebody who's got twenty thousand dollars a month in, in monthly cash flow and a, and a portfolio full of property and a huge net worth, whether or not their strategy is the only way, which it definitely isn't, yeah, it's the strategy that worked for them and it's the strategy they could teach you if you're willing to listen and exactly. be humble. And, and and give back to them too, right? I'm I'm sure you've done things for for Matt throughout this this time that's allowed you know you guys both to benefit through this relationship. Oh, 100. percent And you know when I talked about how I got started with this job where I was working, sort of the you know it ended up being nine to nine or nine till midnight at at times. Um, I'm still doing that here with Matt and on real estate. Yeah, but it's because I love it. It's it's a totally different feeling. So you got to be willing to give your time, give your energy and, and mm-hmm. 100% commit and take that massive action. But it's for something that you love. And I think that's another thing too. If I think if you're not going to love this process, mm-hmm. this might not be a good option for you. And there's yeah. still there's other ways to get into real estate and benefit from it that doesn't require uh, the massive action portion or the massive um, energy portion. So there's yeah. private lending. There's all sorts of ways or joint venture opportunities where yeah. you could be a financial partner. So there's lots of ways to benefit from real estate without necessarily having to do it the way any one person has done it, right? My approach right now is yeah. is brute force. I'm spending- You're active though, right? You're an active investor. Super active. Mm-hmm. And that's the fourplex I've got a financial partner on. Um, that's virtually silent. So I'm doing all mm-hmm. the work, kind of GCing it and doing a bit of the work myself. And then on my property, I did all my own renovations. I did all the work in terms of locking the deal up, getting it and and the full process. But, you know, there's lots of avenues to take. If you don't have that kind of time at your disposal, maybe start out with some lending and figuring out what that person's doing with your right. capital. If you want an outside view and kind of see see how it works and and that kind of thing. So yeah. There's so many ways. That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And um, so what's one thing, like a, maybe a mistake that you've made that you've learned from in this this two years roughly that you've been you've been involved? Um, hmm. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I have made, and it's it's not necessarily a mistake, but it's it was kind of out of necessity, but it's not something that I would continue doing mm-hmm. is the amount of time that I actually spent doing a lot of the smaller things myself. Okay. Um, and I did that for financial reasons, but you know, moving forward, I don't see myself working as much on my own projects as I have in the past. Okay. Right. Like I, I'm not great at drywall, so I shouldn't be the guy doing drywall. And I'm not necessarily great at flooring or paint or any of those other tasks or like emptying out all the junk on that first building. I had to do it because I didn't want to pay for somebody else to do it. But realistically, I could have been out there getting that next Mm $15,000 wholesale deal, right? I could have been out there finding that next opportunity, that next building that I could partner with somebody on or attracting other capital. Um, Because you know, at this point, my skill is in is in identifying opportunities and raising capital. That's what I'm good at. Yeah, um, those are your highest paid activities, right? And it's my highest paid yeah. activity, and I love doing it. It's There's just, nothing yeah. I love more than those activities. And so, one of my biggest mistakes so far is is been having my head down for too long. Mm-hmm. But I think it's part of it's necessary. So I don't. It's a growing process. It's right? a growing process, and and you really should actually have a good understanding of what goes in 
like what energy goes into making that mm-hmm. work happen. Um, but certainly moving forward, I don't, I won't be doing a lot of that work. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can relate. I started the same way. Uh, and I think everybody does. It's just, it is a mistake. It's great perspective. <laughs> it, it is and it isn't. It, it's something, it's a mistake if you keep doing it, if you don't learn if from keep, each experience. Yeah. Who, who knows? Maybe you love framing or something. Sure. And then you just, you want to do that because it brings joy to your life. Okay, do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But don't do it because you think it's the most profitable thing. Uh, rarely will that be the case. It might be, but yeah. rarely. Um, okay, so Adam, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, learn more about you and your your journey, what's the best way for them to reach? Yeah, best way to find me is, or the place I'm most active is Instagram. So you can find me at Adam JD Martin. And if you want to find out more about my journey, you can check out Matt's YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Matt McKeever. There's a whole playlist on sort of my financial journey and, and getting started in real estate. So um, those are some great videos. But yeah, reach out to me on Facebook, I'm Adam J. Martin. I got to fix this immediately. That's why I called you that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I should have so, said JD. <laughs> so Adam JD Martin on Instagram, yeah. that's how you get at me. And okay. feel free to send me a DM. I'm always happy to share. Okay, I'll put the contact info in the show notes so that awesome. uh, anyway, if you're on uh, if you're on iTunes, you can just scroll down YouTube. You'll be able to scroll down and it'll all be there. Um, okay, and then just so people can kind of get to know you, um, what what's like a hobby that you just love doing in your spare time outside of real estate? I've got a motorcycle, so I spend yeah. a fair about it, bit of time on that. I've got what kind? Uh, several guns that I like shooting. Oh quick. yeah, um, I've got a Ninja, a Ninja? five hundred. Oh, okay, so a quick bike or decently quick bike. It it moves. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I like long distance shooting. I'm getting some handguns shortly for for Target and stuff like that too. Yeah. I do some hunting, so okay. I uh, yeah, I occupy a lot of time like that, and I do. Um, CrossFit, so I'm often in the gym. That's where you can find me when I'm not at the mansion here working away. That's why yeah, I asked them to raise the camera angle up ah! so we couldn't see the gun show here. <laughs> Come on, uh, make, don't make me look bad. Um, okay, what's one thing that you you uh, love about the real estate lifestyle? Um, I love how quickly it can replace somebody's lifetime worth of work. So, yes. like we just looked at those numbers, I'm getting let's say 700 a month now on that first building and it's appreciated about $60,000 this year. Most yeah. people I would like to think are working an entire year, probably 50, you know, or 48 weeks or whatever a normal person works, mm-hmm. uh, 40 hours a week to make that 60 grand. Yeah. I did it in a couple of months really Absolutely. worth of work and then now it's my free shelter. So using that as as a wealth building tool and a vehicle is is obviously the way to win and i've i've also been to 17 countries so i love traveling love it this is one of the ways that you can travel on your own terms right absolutely no one telling you when you can take a vacation you don't need to ask permission you just need to plan your life you set up your systems and you go okay adam that was great uh really really cool you know stuff came out in this podcast that has never come out on the podcast and we kind of went into some detail i haven't done before and then the wholesaling aspect and the flyering that was really cool uh for anyone listening Give it another listen. This is uh, this is a really great episode. Awesome. So. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, Appreciate thank it. you. Okay, we'll see you guys on the next one. Hey, folks, just a quick wrap up. Thank you so much for watching. And if you would like to reach me directly, you can reach me on Instagram or on Facebook at the Andrew Hines. And the contact for me is in the description or the show notes for this episode. Once again, please make sure you hit that subscribe button if you're on YouTube hit the like button, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And I will see you on the next one. Thanks so much for watching and for listening.